thinking will make tiny changes to Earth for the better. That's the conceit of this brief series of extemporaneous thinkings with me, Will Daddario. And today's topic, this evening's topic, topic number five, conversing with people you don't agree with. After Finley died, I turned to poetry, and I got really into Rumi, and uh, I was reading Rumi so closely that Rumi was definitely speaking directly to me. There were so many coincidences, or whatever you want to call them, where I would read something and then that thing would happen right away. It happened five or six times. And one of those times I was reading Rumi's uh, favorite situation, the knock at the door. You know, there's a knock at the door. Let him in. Whoever it is, let him in. Even if he's there to clear you out, maybe they're doing a favor for you. I read that, and then there was a knock on my door. And uh, I knew that whoever it was, I had to open it. I also had a predilection that it was going to be Jehovah's Witnesses. And I went to the door, and indeed, I was right. It was a team of three Jehovah's Witnesses, all African-American, older than me led by a gentleman named Pepe, who was in his 70s. And I looked at them and I knew I had to invite them in. So I explained where I was, that my son had died, and I got the greatest reaction from them. I, just, they were, I said, yeah, my, my son just died. And they said, oh, damn, no, oh, no. They shook their head, looking at the ground. Still to this day, one of the most sincere, <laughs> appropriately outraged and saddened responses I've gotten to that news. And uh, I let them in to talk for a bit. And then basically, every Sunday, for the next two years, I did a Bible study with Pepe. In the style of the Jehovah's Witness teaching. I did this because of Rumi. I did this because I felt that there was a real potential that grief would close me off. And I wanted to do just the opposite of that. I wanted to open. And I knew that the only way I could open is if I could really learn to listen. So I thought, what better challenge than to learn to listen to somebody with whom I disagree with on almost every single aspect of nature, culture. And so I listened every Sunday for two years. And it was remarkable. I mean, I never once, never once uh, considered, you know, going to the Jehovah's Witness meeting. Uh, I never 
felt myself pulled into that form of spirituality. But I really was committed to listening to Pepe talk about his faith and explaining these mysterious interpretations of the Bible. And I found it really rewarding. So, since then, my first tenant that I tell myself when thinking about how to talk to people that you don't agree with is make sure you're listening. And make sure that they are listening to you. And this is not a simple feat. Sometimes we listen like we see. You know, you know, when you look at something, you have to ask yourself, am I really seeing that thing or am I seeing a projection of that thing that I am superimposing on top of that thing? This is basically the problem with whiteness, right? Whiteness sees otherness as something necessarily related to and oftentimes inferior to or a threat to whiteness. They're not really seeing a black person. They're seeing a construct of a black person created by white institutions over the years. And the same thing happens with listening. When we hear words, are we really hearing them? Or are we hearing versions of things that we want them to be saying? I don't think that I really figured out what listening was until I was in my 30s. And that's with concerted effort put into musical listening, theater training. Anyway, listening is key. But I'm guessing that this topic was not raised because of Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm guessing that this has more to do with the political volatility of the Trump supporters and the QAnon folks and all sorts of social divisions within the United States. How do you talk to somebody, perhaps even within your own family, who holds a political view that you find so abhorrent and ignorant? How do you possibly talk about that? Well, the rule number one still stands. Are you listening? Are they listening? And I think you need to be as explicit about it as possible. (laughs) I want to have this conversation with you only if I can listen, and if you are listening, and if at any point you feel like you stopped, or if I feel like I've stopped, then we're going to call this whole thing off. But the second uh, tenant that I developed is related specifically to this type of political talk. It was because after the 2016 election, you know, devastated every night lying in my bed, I would think for a long time about how, how could I, if I was to have a conversation with a Trump supporter and I really wanted to persuade them to think more critically about this person that they're supporting and the platform they're supporting, what would I do and what would I say? How could I keep that conversation going beyond the 30 seconds that I imagine it would normally go? How could I prevent it from just turning into a yelling match? And the only headway I made on that topic was to say that all keywords had to be redefined to serve only that conversation that was taking place in that moment. So, for example, if the word liberal comes up, we cannot use it in the sense that it's bandied about by the media. We have to decide right then and there, what do we mean by liberal? All hot-button words have to be redefined, agreed upon, and then put to use in that conversation. I think these words often steer people into emotional territory and turn off entirely the reasoning part of the brain. 
So the words we use to talk with, obviously we know this is important, but with so many words coded these days, uh, you have to make sure that those coded words don't slip in and poison the conversation. I think it'd be worth trying that. I think the conversation would definitely go on for a while. You might still get frustrated, but you could have a conversation. And you probably would discover some things that were outside of, like, the Republican talking point playbook or even the other way around, outside of the typical liberal stances that you hear, you know, coming out of, like, the New York Times or the Washington Post. But I think that the most important thing to realize is that sometimes you are not going to be able to have a conversation with that person you don't agree with. And that's okay. But it's important to mark it and say, you know what? I cannot have a conversation with you right now. Because anger is a legitimate feeling. And as long as it's not transmitted through fear, I think anger should be voiced, expressed, and metabolized in a healthy way so as to learn something about ourselves. So this is going to be a poignant conversation topic between now and November, and probably after November, because remember, whoever wins or loses, Trump supporters aren't going away. We're going to have to figure out how to talk to them. We're going to have to learn how to make spaces in which we can actually have long and detailed conversations about any topic. So, as with all these topics, I'd love to hear some some insight. Please let me know what you're thinking. Good evening to you.